Welcome back, everybody, to episode five of the Rim Grazers podcast. Today, it's just me and Frank. We're yeah, lonely yeah. boys. All good. Um, <laughs> we're going to be going through something that um, me and him were talking about. And honestly, maybe it makes sense that we're the only two people doing this. But it was the worst NBA duos. And these are the ones that... Um, I don't know, I guess it took some time to think about. I don't know about you, but, like, I, I struggled after the first one because the first one was kind of more, like, funny to me. Then after that, I started to get into more <laughs> serious ones that failed. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know if we had, like, any rules on this stuff. No, I, I kind of felt the same way because I was, like, mulling over the list. And like you said, like, the first one was just... We were just thinking of awful just duos, and then it kind of transitioned more into teams that were contending and played well and they just didn't win the chip. And then I talked to my dad about some of them and then I was thinking like, what really defines like a failure of a, of a duo and a team? And I think we might have like mixed opinions on that, but I guess we can get into those a little bit later. But I think for the most part, we, we agree and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first one, we're going to start off with the funniest one, I guess. Yeah. And this was the one that got us talking about this, was the failed Josh Smith experience in Detroit with Josh Smith and I'm going to say Greg Monroe was the second guy because he got a big contract. He was younger. Um, so Josh Smith played there for, well, we're going to say one season. He did play 28 games the second season. So Detroit signs him in the summer of 2013 to a four-year, $54 million contract. Now, remember, he's coming off um, big runs in the playoffs with Atlanta. Awesome records. The team is in the playoffs every year. They were even a one seed, I want to say, in 2012. I don't remember off the top of my head. But <clears throat> there's a reason why Josh Smith's getting paid. Now, Josh Smith was playing power forward with Atlanta at the time. He is now going to Detroit in a situation where you have, uh, I think it's second year Andre Drummond. So he's coming off his rookie season with a young, I want to say third year, Greg Monroe. Um, and now you're adding veteran Josh Smith into a role he's never played before. He's going to be moved from the power forward position to small forward. And as most people know, Josh Smith isn't the greatest shooter. So it's kind of hilarious to think Detroit is going to make this work, especially with where the NBA is about to head. Um, you can see why Detroit quickly scrapped this. So think about the timeline, right? It's 2013. They signed Josh Smith. You're now heading into a year where the Warriors are about to make their first real playoff run uh, with Clay. And Curry, they're going to get to the second round and push the eventual champions, I think, right? Yeah, eventual champions Spurs mm -hmm. to four games, or sorry, six games. And you can just see that this is the trend that the NBA is heading on, is this up-tempo, three-point shooting style. Like, the Warriors are not there yet, but they're about to take it over. And mm -hmm. now you have Detroit setting up to kind of zag this weird trend that's about to occur and they don't know that that's happening right because you know you're still playing kind of inside with teams like 
the Spurs with Tim Duncan, and they still have a traditional center alongside them. You have teams like the Pacers competing year in, year out with those Miami teams who have Bosch and a center, even though Bosch would slide to the five at times. Um, it's just it's this weird thing where Detroit, I think, was saying, all right, there's some teams that want to go do this with three-point style, and we're just going to try to bully you inside by having three big guys that can all rebound Josh Smith is very athletic and explosive, so he could easily play off the wing. But it's weird because he's not a shooter. So um, I didn't even get into the stats. I just think it's <laughs> it's hilarious to see that this is was their plan going forward and where the NBA actually ended up heading. Well, if you ask Josh Smith, he's a better shooter than Steph Curry. So I think, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean this this team was going in just a completely different direction than where the the league was going we saw the beginnings of the golden state dynasty starting to unfold so yeah interesting uh duo and i guess triplet they decided to put together because it was just uh abnormal and uh they were bad so uh <laughs> their record was not good it was 29 to 53 now if we're just looking at josh smith and greg monroe they were only on the court for 77 of those games so those two, when they were on the court together, had a negative three net rating, which means they were giving up more than they were scoring. With Josh Smith and Andre Jumman, it was uh, a lot worse. It was a negative five. So, And just to give you guys a kind of uh, basis on what the percentages and averages were for 2012 to 2014, which is the years that we're pretty much talking about in most of these duos, is that the effective field goal percentage in those years was 50%, that was the league average, and the true shooting percentage was 55%. So the effective field goal percentage between Josh Smith and Greg Monroe combined was a 49%, so they were slightly below average. True shooting percentage was 52, much, much more below average than the league average of 55. So yeah, these guys were not, not good on the court together. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it showed in the record and how the team played. <laughs> and Monroe's numbers really only took a dip because now he's forced to play alongside uh, Andre Drummond. Because his first couple of seasons, he was at center, right? He's the lone mm -hmm. big guy on the floor. Um, I guess occasionally he'd be moved to power forward or be put in with another forward to play alongside him. But now they're putting him in this totally strange situation where he's going from playing like the lone big man kind of played through him now he's got to play alongside two big men. And it's even funnier when Josh Smith is shooting 41% from the field and 26% from three on three and a half attempts per game. Yeah. So I'm going to put this all on Josh Smith. I really don't think it was any of Monroe's fault. Um, and what's strange is, so the next season, 2014-15, um, after only 28 games, I think Detroit saw... One, they saw what the Warriors were doing, um, because like I said, that was kind of unfolding before their eyes. You also have the same kind of thing going on in Houston. A lot of these teams are slowly turning into perimeter-based teams, um, even including LeBron, right? He left uh, Miami, went to Cleveland. Now you're put alongside Kevin Love, who's just, he stretched the floor, mm -hmm. put along Kyrie Irving, who's a great shooter. And then you kind of just fill the shooting guard with guys that come and go. Um, but, you know, it, it was either Josh Smith or 
Um, I don't even know who their starting shooting guard was at the time. But, you know, they, you could see where the league is trending. And I think it's funny because they went ahead and used the stretch provision on Josh Smith. So they waived him, used the stretch provision, and they kept... I don't know if they're still paying him today. I have to say, they. I think they are. That's horrible. Um, <laughs> actually, no, because he only signed a four-year deal. It's probably... I think they probably stopped paying him around last year. Yeah. But, uh... So he was gone, and then the very next season, like at the end of that season, Greg Monroe leaves in free agent f- agency from Milwaukee, and um, yeah, that was the end of that. So failed experiment, and it <laughs> crumbled really fast. D- yeah. They didn't even get the three three more years out of uh, Josh Smith. So yeah, like you were saying with with the Cleveland situation and LeBron being there, you're, you're surrounding him with shooters plus himself who. Who can shoot on occasion and you had Tristan Thompson who is like your devoted rebounder which if you translate that to Detroit it's like Andre Drummond is in that role and, and a better rebounder than, than Thompson but then you add Greg Monroe so now you're clogging it up with another big who can't space I think more like later in his career he was able to have like a mid-range game and was able to space it a little bit and then you put Josh Smith in there who I mean, he he typically played power forward the majority of his career. So now you slide him to the three, and it's just yeah, just just a failed experiment <laughs> completely. I don't know who on this analytics team saw that he's shooting a twenty six percent from deep, and he's taking three and a half, and didn't go to the coach and be like, "Yo, you need to make sure this guy stops shooting threes. Like it's just hurting us completely." Or just yeah, or just rotate the three of them. Yeah. Like stagger their minutes, something you got to do something about it's in, it. It's interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because next season when he went to Houston, he only played fifty five games for them, but he was also taking three and a half threes. But his percentage went from twenty six to thirty three. So I don't know if him being around more shooters helped that. If he just worked on it more, but yeah, definitely wasn't working in twenty thirteen. No, I agree. I don't know what happened when he went to Houston because I know he did start playing better, and he's mm-hmm. actually one of the. Um, more important players in their playoff run uh, yeah. that season, which honestly is a perfect segue into our next duo. Or, well, I don't know if this is the next duo on your list. But yeah, yeah. I put them in order it. that we had similar. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, so James Harden and Joy Howard was my next duo. Um, and so in 2013-14 is when they come together. I think this is James's second run with Houston. Right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so his second season with Houston, it's his pairing partner that they need to get him. Um, they have a really good season. They win 54 games, um, but they get upset in the first round by Portland, which, looking at their roster and the team that they had, is a pretty big disappointment that they didn't um, advance to at least the semifinals and probably should have been in the conference finals uh what do you think on at least their first season together yeah the first season was i mean pretty shocking to see what they came out and did and i guess like you're saying with that roster you kind of expect that especially as a fan and i believe that was the year that dame hit that buzzer beater and i think they lost 4-2 but either way still an upset considering they were the second seed i believe or they were they were they were uh, a top. Se- I know they had home home court advantage at least in that series. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely disappointing to see that you lose to a Trailblazers team that is 
was still up and coming and didn't have nearly as much talent as that Houston team did and, and star and firepower. So yeah, definitely, definitely disappointing in that first season. Yeah. And then, so Dwight's numbers, they, they kind of stayed the same for the most part. They didn't really, um, like at least from the season he had with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't a major issue. So the next season, um, they, they win 56 games. Uh, Dwight's production takes a little bit of a hit, but not... Again, what he's doing on the floor is not enough to say uh, he's an issue. Which is strange, because this duo... Again, this is supposed to be worse duos, but I don't even really think this one's bad. The problem is, I think they underachieved. So, they win 56 games, they go to the Western Conference Finals, um, and they lose to the Warriors in five, who become the eventual champions. So, you can't really fault them too much on that one, I don't think. Again, the Warriors just had way more firepower. They're coming off a uh, big season. They're kind of the favorites to win it, honestly. Yeah. Uh, again, barring injury to Cleveland, right? They, they, mm-hmm. were, they were the favorite. Yeah. And then in 2015-16, just, I don't know what happens. I guess Dwight starts to have his issues kind of with, you know, there was a lot of talk about him wanting the ball in the post more. He needs more touches, this and that. Uh, The team goes 41-41. They lose in the first round to um, the Warriors in five, which the Warriors that season won 73 games of NBA records, so... Not a surprise there either. It's just, I don't know what happens between 15 to 16 season that they somehow have this dramatic drop-off. Um, I mean, from what I, under, from what I was looking at, Joy Howard wasn't exactly banged up. Um, I don't know. It's just super strange. I feel like the duo of James Harden and Joy Howard should have made it to at least one finals. Uh Especially given that Dwight had all that time to recover from back surgery and that, like, even though he's rushed back with the Lakers, and I think that's what hurt him there, the reason I feel he left, and I think people give him too much flack for, is Kobe's coming off that Achilles injury. Um, that nobody had successfully come back to that 100% before. Um, you have Steve Nash, who sat a whole bunch of games, who was supposed to be his running mate. Um, again, just ends up never playing for that team again after that season. And you have Pau Gasol, who, again, if you look at where the league is trending, the dual big lineup is just really not working. So, um, it's just, I don't know, I feel like it's just such a strange situation because I feel like Dwight went to a better situation, actually had success, but they never, for some reason, made it to where they should have been, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that that's a perfect segue into the differences between disappointment and underachieving and like what a failure is. So starting with that 2013 season, uh, they had a plus 8.6 net rating, and they were extremely good. Their effective field goal percentage was a 54. Their true shooting was 58. So they were way above league averages and just... They were just playing extremely well. You move into 2014, their record improved and their net rating improved. They were at an 11 and a half uh, net rating. And again, the field goal percentages, the true shooting, all very good, extremely good above league average. 
And then you move into 2015, and it goes from 11.5 down to 3.2. So they were still positive and still above league average, but there was some sort of dip in, in production. And again, I don't really know what the, the cause for concern with that was. Um, you touched on it with Dwight maybe wanting it in the post more and just wanting to change his game. But I think with this pairing, it wasn't... In terms of their numbers and their production, it wasn't a failure because James Harden, his first season in Houston, he was averaging uh, 26 points per game, 50% effective field goal shooting. And then 2013, the first year with Dwight, he moves up to uh, close to 53% effective field goal and increase in production on each three of those seasons in points. He goes from 25 to 27 to 29. So the, the pairing of them and the, the team surrounding them, they all played really well. Their record showed that. Their net rating showed that. So the the combination of the team was a success. But I think as a fan and looking at that team in a perspective that you have these expectations where they should be contending for a, t- a championship. These are This is a top three team in the West. I think they just, in that, in the, in the, in that case, I would say it, it was failed and it was a disappointment. I just think they were outmatched by this Golden State team who just had a better pairing and a better combination of players. So I guess from two different senses there, yes, disappointment that they didn't win, but the combination was a success and did work for the most part. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, over those three seasons, Dwight averaged 16 points per game, 11 rebounds per game on 60% shooting. Mm-hmm. And he had uh, his uh, PER was over 20 each of those seasons again those numbers are a little skewed because he plays at the center position so guys that are at the center position usually they get benefit of the doubt on a lot of stuff um because blocks count for a lot rebounds count Mm -hmm. for a lot so those guys naturally will be high like i think javel was it last year the year before it was like seventh in the league in per yeah (laughs) so obviously that never gives you an idea of exactly who's the best player in the league but Mm -hmm. Usually you can tell who are the little outcasts within the list, and you usually get a general idea of who ranks where. So, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking again right at the numbers. He he played 71 games that season for Houston, Joy Howard. So I don't – he was averaging 13.7 points, which is a little low, but James Harden averaging 29 points. I think that's where a lot of that production goes. I'm sure if I was – had the numbers pulled up, like you look at their usage, and I'm sure uh, James Harden usage has probably gone up over yeah. those seasons, whereas Dwight's gone down. Why there's a dip off, I don't know, because you would think that a guy like Dwight would be perfect to play alongside mm-hmm. James Harden, because he had a lot of success with Clint Capella uh, once Dwight left, right? And Clint was just there to again just play rim protector, get rebounds. Um, really just box out. I mean, at one point, he was just letting James get the boards. Um, And then just be a screen setter and a roller. And it's literally all the things that Dwight does and Dwight should be really good at, especially on his max contract that he signed. So it's very strange that this pairing just never worked out. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the ratings were were still positive all three of those seasons. So, I mean, there was a significant drop off from 14 to 15 but i mean overall as a team they were they were still playing well but I, yeah i'm really not sure what what happened there 
Yeah, so I'm going to move on from a successful duo that, again, I think just <laughs> like we were talking about, just underachieved. Yes. To yeah. a duo that, uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is underachieving or unsuccessful. I, I'm going to let you speak on this because I have some bias, but I'm going to go by the numbers. So we're going to go to this one. It's Darren Williams and Joe Johnson. Uh, leaving New Jersey, right? Yep. Heading into that first year in Brooklyn. The Nets, two years prior, traded for Darren Williams. He's the next franchise guy for that organization. Um, had some health issues. But in those two seasons in New Jersey, he's averaging over 22 points per game, I think, on and eight assists. And he's looking like a top player in the league i know mm. in that 2012 offseason espn had him ranked as eighth best player in the league or was it 2011 it's one of those two seasons and it's just looking very promising and it's to the point where me being a nets fan i'm at home i'm watching a television just having my fingers crossed the whole time that this guy does not sign with dallas and stays with us like i clearly remember the day <laughs> that was announced. I, dude, I watched ESPN all day. This is before I had a smartphone, anything. The only way to get news was to watch ESPN. So I'm watching ESPN. Finally, they announced Darren Williams is going to sign the five-year, 100 million max. I'm like, yes. Thank God. Like, that's, that's really important yeah. for us moving to Brooklyn that we have this guy. We have Brooke Lopez, who to me is looking like he's going to be an all-star. And then we trade for Joe Johnson. So the talk slowly moves away from Brooke Lopez being that, that star guy, right, to the pairing of Darren Williams and Joe Johnson as the best backcourt in the NBA. And that becomes the talk on news cycles. And this goes on basically all year long. Um, the first season was a success. They won 49 games. Uh, which was not a franchise record, but it was really close. Franchise record, I believe, is 52. Darren Williams has a dip in production, but nothing too major. He starts to kind of look like himself towards the end of the season. He's averaging 19 points per game, 7 assists per game. Joe Johnson also has a dip in production, but kind of expected as he's older, um, but still averaging 16 points per game. And what people don't talk about is Lopez... Uh, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but I can. Pretty sure he was averaging over 20 points per game. Um, very effective. 23 points per game, 8.2 rebounds per game that season. Oh, that's on per 36. Sorry, I knew that was a little high. The rebounds for Brook Lopez will never be that high. 19 points per game, 7 rebounds per game. Um, again, no one wants to talk about him, but that's not what this is about. This is about everybody blowing up this backcourt duo right so i would say it's a successful season where it gets disappointing is they get bounced in the first round by the six seed uh chicago bulls in seven um they don't even have derrick rose so to me it's just like wow they have this <laughs> awesome season everything's going right and then we have this performance. I don't even think Darren Williams is that good. I don't want to say that off the top of my head, though. But uh, from my memory, it was not a memorable playoff Oof. run for him. Uh, 
But you're like, you're looking at this and you're like, okay, it was their first season. Um, they still have a young center. They have their max guy. It was only his first season under contract, and they brought in this second dude. Let's see how they do when they run it back. Well, for some reason, we hire the coach that went 35-19 and 19 and hire a rookie head coach in Jason Kidd. And it is a bumpy start. I think they were like 14-24 and 24 or some crazy um, number. Definitely not a good start for the team. Let's see. You expect some some difficulties with a new coach, but I mean, right? It, it is Jason they start Kidd. ten and twenty one, so yeah. it was close. Yeah. Um, but they they pick it up. They honestly have like a really good season after that point, especially after All Star break. Um, managed to pull out forty four and thirty eight, even though they have Lopez go down in December, which is weird because <laughs> Lopez was having a great season. He was coming off a good season, too. He averaged 20 points per game that season. Um, but it, when he goes down, for some reason, the team has this turnaround. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's because Jason Kidd just couldn't figure out how to work him in. Or maybe it was too many guys. Because you remember, this is the season that they brought in Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. Um, but looking at the duo of just Jason Kidd and Darren, or Joe Johnson and Darren Williams... Darren Williams has a huge drop off in production. He goes from the 19 and 7 to 14 and 6. Joe Johnson, not so much. He's doing about the same. He's shooting actually better from three. So he's averaging 16 points per game, shooting 40% from three. So, again, kind of a bad season. They somehow pull out a first round victory against Toronto in seven games and then get crushed by Miami in the second round. In only five games. Uh, but you look at it, again, it's one of those weird seasons where you're like, okay, maybe they just couldn't figure it out. Brooke Lopez was hurt. Darren Williams, even though... I mean, he only played 68 games, started 55. He was injured. Maybe his numbers just need to... Oh, sorry. Looking at the wrong season. Similar numbers, though. 64 games, 58 games started. So... It's, it's, you know, maybe he just needs to get healthy and come back and re rerun it. So they run it back, and again, just kind of the same thing. Joe Johnson, 14 points per game. Darren Williams, 13 points per game, 6 assists. Um, plays 68 games, only starts 55. They start to bench him and start Jared Jack. It's a strange situation happening, unfolding, and it's like, what is going on? And during that summer, we fired Jason Kidd. I don't even know how to explain all this. It's just such a mess, <laughs> and it happens so fast that this duo just never pans out. Um, no. Honestly, I think Joe Johnson was better once Darren Williams left, which is even weirder. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean D Darren Williams was... And me and Chance had these debates back then, like when I first met him back in, like... 2011 but we used to talk about this like darren williams used to be regarded as like better than cp3 i'm talking about these utah days from like 2007 to 2010 like he was regarded as one of like the best point guards best players in the league i mean you see his production uh the points i mean he was averaging a dub dub for all those seasons and he was, he was always a good shooter he was he was able to shoot the three ball well field goal percentage was also really good and then the first year he gets to New Jersey before they become Brooklyn, I mean, he only played 12 games for them. 
but he was averaging almost 13 assists per game. So, and then this guy, this guy was special. Like I, I really liked him personally. And then they moved to Brooklyn, like you said, 2012. And this first season, the net rating between them and Joe Johnson uh, was a plus 4.4. The shooting was good. You go to 2013, the net rating improved to 4.7. And then you go to 2014, and it dips down to 1.8. So, I mean, still positive. The shooting was was always good, or maybe right around average in that last season. But, yeah, these guys made made a, made a good pairing. It's just... I don't really know why it didn't work out. And Brooke, Brooke Lopez was one of the, I mean, if you combine them together, and again, it's kind of like the Dwight Howard thing because he is a center, so the numbers are slightly inflated, but there was a better net rating when you had Brooke Lopez on the court with Darren Williams uh, and or Joe Johnson. So the numbers well, were I better bet. there. Yeah. And I, so the strange thing is, so Lopez also had his injury issues and the strange thing is in that, I think it was that 2014-15 season, um, Darren Williams and Brooke kind of got hurt around the same time from what I remember. Mm. So when they came back, they started, Is weird, they were starting Mason Plumley <laughs> and Jared Jack and having those two guys, Brooke Lopez and Darren Williams, come off the bench. Um, again, I don't know why these decisions are made. Uh, it's just like honestly, it just what a shit show from the first season in Brooklyn to the last uh, for Darren Williams and that just that whole experience. And yeah. the Nets end up waving him in the summer of 2015, even though he he's only three years into his five-year, hundred million-dollar deal. So um, that's about because it goes up each year. So it's probably closer to. Forty in between forty and fifty million dollars left on his deal. I want to say fifty. Uh, they use a stretch provision on it, which the Nets are still paying to this day. Uh, this is the last season they're going to be paying Darren Williams five million dollars a season, which is fucking insane. And it just to me, this is just like what a bad experience um, and experiment. I just I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Joe, Joe Johnson's always been a crafty scorer, one of my favorite players to watch, and he's always been a, a terrific shooter. So, like, this pairing, it looked really good. I mean, Darren Williams was 28. He was in his prime. Joe Johnson, you could argue, he's 31. He's kind of on the back end. But, yeah, you can make the case that Joe Johnson was, was the better player overall for, like, these three seasons, specifically 2014, I would say, 15. Well, there's a couple of things, too, because... Darren Williams, great in the pick and roll with Brooke Lopez. Those two paired in a pick and roll was just so good because Darren Williams' ability to get him pocket passes were just... Like, he was such a threat at attacking the rim or pulling up for that mid-range. And Lopez was such a good mid-range shooter. And he would float it from the free throw line that, like, it was just so deadly because... The NBA hadn't gotten there yet where centers were just taking threes consistently. And even though Brooke wasn't doing that yet, I'd always yell at the TV like, dude, just take two steps out. Just take two steps out. Because like he was right there at the three-point line. Um, but he'd be taking these long twos, which would spread the floor more. And I think that helped Darren Williams get more opportunities and create more for other people. And it helped Joe Johnson too because Joe Johnson is a very big guy. And like you say, he's crafty. He likes to get the guy on his back and hold him off that pick and roll. So he'll make it tight 
and have the guy there. And he'll either have a floater or draw over two defenders to himself because the guy's on his backside. And again, Brooke Lopez is going to be wide open for whatever, dunk, layup, mid-range. Uh, so I would say that's probably why their net ratings are higher. Yeah. And like you said, the pairing makes so much sense because Darren Williams should be alleviating any scoring that Joe Johnson has to do. Like you say, he's getting older. I think him going there was more of a... Should have been a relief to him. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, I don't have to score in every night. Like, I don't have to go out and get 40 points per game or no, whatever. Yeah, no one was helping him in Atlanta. <laughs> right. And then Darren Williams ends up being a no-show just season after season getting worse and worse. And it's like Joe Johnson's now having to bust his ass to keep the team afloat. Um, I think he made an all-star team the one year because he's averaging like 18 points per game or something for yeah. like one month, which got them a bunch of wins. Uh and it's just like absurd that at 33 that he has to carry so much load of the offense when it's like you have a guy that you're paying $100 million to and is three years younger that should be the guy that's making his job easier. You know, getting him open looks so he doesn't have to create anymore. Getting him spot-up looks. Um, instead, we're still relying on him night in and night out to get points every possession and hit a game winner when like that should be his only thing is spot up and then like hey at the end of the game we might need you to create a shot so like i'm never gonna put this on joe johnson i don't think it was any of his fault now which of these years was the first year of the 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 kg pairing in the celtic uh, 13 14 13 okay yeah that's uh i guess it's a slightly different discussion but also a uh i don't know what would you consider it failed just... Well, again, so Brooke Lopez gets hurt in December. The team completely turns around and wins a ton of games after starting 10 at 21. So to me, it's like, all right, word. We made it to the second round. We took Miami to five, which isn't impressive. But again, we're missing our one, our like, what I'm going to say at this point is our centerpiece going forward. Our franchise guy is Brooke Lopez. Um, whether you like it or not, because Darren Williams is not, not playing <laughs> up to franchise player. Yeah. So it's like, all right, we're, Lopez has now had his surgery. He's going to come back next season fully healthy. Like, let's run it back. What do the Nets do? We got to <laughs> save money. Why we got to save money now? I don't know. So we let Paul Pierce walk, even though he's asking, can I come back? Right? He's ready to sign the paperwork. And it's like you're, it's just mind blowing because then Paul Pierce goes to Washington, actually has a really good season. Yeah, he did. Becomes exactly what we needed at the small forward, which is <laughs> a stretch who could shoot a high percentage, right? He's at that point in his career where he's cool with just, again, taking the back seat, shooting a bunch of threes at a high rate, and occasionally hitting a game winner here or there, which he did hit one in the playoffs. So it's like that, that's a guy we could have used. And he hit a, really important shot against Toronto previous season in the playoffs. So to me, it's like, why are we not running this back? Why are we suddenly worried about the luxury tax when we paid it last year? Um, I just, it's so strange and I will never understand why we would trade or let a guy walk that we traded our entire future for basically traded Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown for like, I just don't, 
I can't wrap my head around it. I think I think yeah, that's there's like two parts to that, and it's like the the pairing itself is highly questionable and probably not the best decision. And I would consider that just just a failure on that. And then the fact that you realize what you traded to get that, it's like why (laughs) well the biggest issue is right so we're talking about just the duos in this thing and we're kind of branching off into the team but the duo worked fine Mm -hmm. for the first season with brooke lopez easily moving up into that number one option pretty fast so why in the world did we go and trade for two older guys end up with a worse record fire the coach that got us there for rookie head coach like a lot of the see i was excited at the time but that's because i'm naive and dumb and like (laughs) i will never fall for it again but man just stupid decisions just ruin this team like if we just kept the team we had and those picks we could have easily done something else maybe not with the picks but it would have been smarter to just get maybe a three and d guy on the wing like a trevor ariza would have been fine um, we didn't need Paul Pierce. Uh, Kevin Garnett was honestly the most useless player I've ever seen wear a Nets jersey. <laughs> Him and his one dribble to the right pull-ups that bricked. God, I couldn't stand watching him. <laughs> He's awful. Yeah. People talk about him like as an all-time great and me being a Nets fan and watching him for those two and a half years, I just I just never see it. I'm like, man, that's, all I remember is the old fart on the court. That was terrible. This <laughs> is <laughs> so... <laughs> To me, it's just like, what a failed experience. I don't know if it was like a panic situation that it's like, yo, we got Darren Williams in his prime, even though he's not playing like he should. And then we have Joe Johnson, who's 31. Brooke is, was still young, I believe. Brooke was only in his fifth season. So it, I don't know if it was a panic move, but you look at, you question that because it's like you had Mason Plumley, who was a rookie. Marcus Thornton, I personally liked. Um, he was good for a few years on the Kings. He was only in his fourth season. Yeah, Blotz was in his eighth season. So like like Reggie Evans, prime. he was really good. Yeah, so it's like these guys, you had a lot of young players that were only in their second and like fourth seasons. I don't, I don't really understand the move to panic, especially when you have teams like, I would say, the Pacers and Miami who were maybe more complete at that time. So it was like, what was the panic to... I, yeah, I, I don't Just know. not... I think the owner backed himself into a corner because he's a guy who's willing to spend as much money as it takes and he told the gm that he said do what you got to do um make this team exciting we're gonna and remember he promised a championship in five years when he bought the team so there's your first mistake 13 14 season is that's five years in so uh dude um what are we gonna do well you know what let's just trade for two guys who won a championship (laughs) what was it just eight years ago 36 year old pierce 37 year old Garnett. yeah i think it was eight years ago they won a championship don't forget jason terry very effective (laughs) dude i just i can't literally made no sense i guess pj should have just been the coach should just been the coach we should just ramp back the same team maybe make some adjustments on the wing but not not Pierce and Garnett. And you had, and you had the future draft much. picks, too. So it was like, yeah I, yeah, I don't get it. Well, the thing is, they probably would have been lower, bit but better, like, they yeah. could have worked it into a trade for, again, like a guy like Trevor Reza, I think, would have honestly been like a perfect fit. Um, 
I liked Chris Humphreys. I actually thought he was really good for the Nets. I know a lot of people don't like him, but <laughs> when he's with the Nets, he he's balling. Yeah, when he slipped up so. and the uh, Kardashian curse hit him, but yeah, he was he was playing well for a while. But yeah, it, it's very questionable to trade the future. Even like you said, the the picks might have been lower, but still, it, it's better than trading for two guys that don't have hair. So I don't know. <laughs> very right, questionable. Before I slip in the depression <laughs> which i guess it could be worse things are actually looking up for this well you could be the know, knicks Kyrie's doing a lot right now so i don't yeah. know you could be the knicks it can always be worse it could be the knicks things <laughs> have been have been on an upward trend at least all right yeah. so i'll let you pick the next duo um so yeah so there's there's not really much as far as backstory here but uh one team <laughs> not as juicy as that <laughs> not as juicy as the, the nets um this is Monte Ellis and Brandon Jennings. Now, I used to love B-Gen, and I also liked Monte Ellis. Going back and looking at his numbers, uh, he actually wasn't really hot shit. He was averaging like 40, 41 minutes a game in Golden, his last two seasons in Golden State. But, yeah, the guy could score. The guy was talented. B-Gen I also really liked, and it was only his fourth season in the league. So in 2012, Milwaukee trades Andrew Bogut and Steven Jackson for Monte Ellis and FK Udo. To the Warriors. So this was supposed to be, I don't even know if this is supposed to be like a championship contending team because it was like Brandon Jennings, Monte Ellis, Maba Mute, Ilyasova, and Larry Sanders. I did really like Larry Sanders a lot. Mm. But yeah, I don't know if this team was going to be anywhere near contention, especially uh, when they had to play Miami uh, playoffs. But, yeah, this team, I would say this duo. So you look at Monte Ellis. He played all 82 games in that season, uh, and he was shooting not good. He was shooting 41% field goal <laughs> and 29% from deep while attempting four a game. So, yeah, we're looking on the same Never way. three-point shooter. Yeah, we're, we're looking like uh, the small version of Josh Smith here. And, uh, <laughs> and then we're looking at Brandon Jennings, who somehow was shooting 40% field goal percentage, which was worse, but 38% from deep, and he was taking six a game. So Brandon Jennings was the guy you wanted shooting threes. Uh, Ellis was the guy that you would say you, you take more than two threes a game. I'm going to cut your head off after the game. So you look at this duo of Monte Ellis and Brandon Jennings, and their net rating while on the court was a negative 3.1, so it was bad. The effective field goal percentage was way below league average as well as the true shooting percentage. So this team was – or this duo, I should say, was – was was not good. It was it was really bad, and and the the biggest thing that I found was they actually made the playoffs that season, and they were swept in the first round. No shock there to the champs, the Miami Heat. Now I looked at this playoff series, and believe it or not, I would say the guys that played the best on this team might have been Mike Dunleavy, and. Mabamute. They might have been the best players on this team in this playoff series. I looked at Monte Ellis and Brandon Jennings and their stats. Monte Ellis was shooting 44% field goal percentage, which is still slightly below average, but it's better than his 41% during the season. He was shooting an abysmal 16% from deep. I mean, that is just horrific. That is terrible. Now, somehow Brandon Jennings was able to top this and shoot 30% field goal percentage. I mean, I, I don't know what the hell happened 
I mean, I know, I guess Monte Ellis being covered by Dwayne Wade, but I guess somehow Norris Cole and Mario Chalmers got into Brandon Jennings' head and uh, just, I, I don't know what happened. He was shooting 21% from deep, which is also really bad, but this is better than what Monte Ellis was doing. Uh, anyway, that didn't last long because the, the, the season after that, Brandon Jennings was traded to Detroit, which, <laughs> believe it or not, that was the first season with Josh Smith. So now you have Brandon Jennings, <laughs> Josh Smith, Greg Monroe, and Andre Jumman, and uh, we all know how that ended. And uh, Monte Ellis was traded to Dallas the season after that, and I think he played decently well. He actually shot a lot better. So, yeah, this is this is on the wow. same wavelength as uh, Josh Smith and, and Greg Monroe as far as I don't think we thought this team would contend, but... Uh, just, a, just an interesting pairing that was horrifically bad, I would say. Well, I'll throw this out there. <laughs> this is another pairing by a GM who's not who's not visioning the same NBA that's about to occur, right? Because you trade Bogut and Jackson to the Warriors mm-hmm. for Ellis, who there's controversy over the time over whether or not they should keep Ellis and start him next to curry there's a lot of upset people that they traded monte ellis to start clay thompson instead so that in itself is very strange but again the warriors see something that not everyone else sees and the bucks say we'll take uh this terrible shooting high volume shooter yeah. of yours <laughs> and we'll pair him with another guy that's going to shoot terrible at a high volume <laughs> and we're going to do excellent <laughs> in reality I'm looking at their record yep. they were what was, what was this record it was 38 and 44 so you know being in the east you, you get a pity playoff spot <laughs> and, um, I love that pity <laughs> you get destroyed because yep. your team just is ass. <laughs> I don't know. That's so bad. I don't know what this is. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, dude. I don't know what they expected. I think all. Brandon Jennings honestly would have been fine if they paired him with someone better. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> Brandon Jennings has got the short end of the stick quite a bit. He, honestly, dude, I don't even know what teams he's been on. So that Detroit team obviously didn't work out either. What, what a year to pair um, him with Josh Smith. I do. I like that. I didn't I just, even realize it. I think if he was on a team that actually was built for him, uh, he probably would have been better off. Why am I not finding? Was he rookie this season? Why is he not on this roster? <laughs> so he There's was no way. He was traded to Detroit in thirteen, there and then is. they traded him in. He was there for two seasons, and the dip in yeah. productions there uh, did not shoot that well. Still, was able to top his. I guess rookie low of 37% shooting. And he was traded to Orlando in 2015. And uh, I, yeah, he only played 25 games for them. Just uh, listen. There's a couple things. So just listen to these teams Monte Ellis had to play for. So Milwaukee <laughs> for four seasons, right? Up until that, yep. that season we're talking about. Um, what's strange is... A lot of people had high hopes for him, and during his rookie season, I think he was like the first person to drop fifty in a rookie season since Will or some strange. It was like a crazy record he did 
I can't remember off the top of my head. I know there's a lot of people talking about it. It had to do with scoring either 50 or 60 points in a game. Um, so a lot of people were like, damn, like this guy's going to gonna take the lead by storm. He's yeah. going to be a crazy scorer. <laughs> um, again, these pairings just never work out. Then they send him to Detroit where, again, just terrible pairings. Then he goes to Orlando uh, midway through the season in 2015-16, which I don't know who's on that roster. Um, he is only there for 25 games. Then he signs with the Knicks. Now, this is interesting because I actually think this is where he was having a pretty solid season since I probably the, the Milwaukee days. Um, so he's playing okay. Shooting percentage from the four is pretty bad, but his three-point percentage is 34%, which... I mean, I guess that's kind of what you want from a point guard at that point. But when you're shooting 38% from the floor, you're not going to last long on a team. No. <laughs> um, so they trade him to Washington so he could play back up to John Wall. Uh, I don't even know if that team made the playoffs in his last seasons in Milwaukee. Just never played for a team that fully unlocked him. No. Like I said, the Knicks were probably the one team that were like successfully putting something together for him. But he's 27 at that point. Um, it's the Knicks. So that you already know there's nobody else that's good on this roster. I mean, I could click on it for the people if that makes them happier. But let's go you down just, this you list. You just know by the name. You should just know. Yeah. I mean, Carmelo Anthony's on here. Porzingis. Derek Rose. Oh, it's this team. Oh, Joe the, King oh, Noah. The Noah. Oh, boy. Well, there's oh, a reason why it didn't work out on this damn. one either. What a disgusting <laughs> bag of Dude, players. Brandon Jennings just can't catch a break, it seems like. Yeah, so... um, That's all I got to say on the, the Brandon Jennings part. <laughs> it's like he went to Detroit to, to be with Josh Smith, and yeah, that was, that was shitty. But then you throw him to that Knicks team, and it's like, how much harder can you fuck this guy? I mean, seriously, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but it's yeah, just I so mean, strange. I expected so much more out of him. I don't know why. Maybe I was just being delusional. I, yeah, I liked him in his younger years. And then I just, I don't know, Monte infected him with this volume shooting and just dog I mean, shit Looking at his numbers on his career, like, I don't know why I thought he was going to be getting shot 38% <laughs> on his career. I know Brandon hyped me up because that was like one of the first years I had 2K and I met him. So, yeah. I, he was good. <laughs> and listen, he's a good 2K. There's a lot of... And this is another flaw with 2K. There's a lot of 2K <laughs> players that are good in 2K and just don't translate to being anywhere near what they are in uh, in real life. Mm. So that's a different discussion. But yeah, I think he was one of those. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, that's it. That's it for me. Those are some good ones. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So I have. All right. So I have a couple more. And we're coming up on an hour, so we'll kind of quickly go through them. Mm -hmm. Next is I have AI and Melo. Uh, I didn't know AI played only one season in Denver. Yeah, I was didn't know that either. That shocked me the other day when I looked this up. I felt like he was there forever, or at least like a couple. That's of what years. it seemed like, yeah. <laughs> but he's he literally only had the one season stint. A really good team. Mm -hmm. Um, in the pair of guy like Carmelo Anthony with Allen Iverson, you basically have the two best scores. Um. I could think of at the time in the league on one at that team. Point, yeah. That team had such a high um, average points per game. Actually, I could actually I could look this up right now. 
I'm surprised Allen Iverson. Their offensive rating shoot. is pretty garbage, yeah, but their their points per game, dude, they were averaging 110 points per game uh, in 2007-2008, which is pretty high mm-hmm. in the 2000s, which somehow is only second in the league. I wonder who was first. Yeah, AI um, was actually shooting good that season. They're playing at a pace of 99.7 first in the league. It's just like this is just a high-octane offense, and they lose in the first round to the Lakers in mm-hmm. four. They get swept. Yeah, they had they had the best net rating those two AI and Carmelo on the floor together. The only thing that's yeah, higher so, is is Marcus Camby, but again center. But yeah, well, no, they were. This really is good. where stats don't tell you everything. Um, it's just I guess this pairing was just never meant to be because they trade for Chauncey Billups and just having a guy that runs the offense correctly, um, yeah. their defender, mm-hmm. bringing him in like a veteran like that, they end up going to the Western Conference Finals the very next season. So, um, Meanwhile, AI goes to Detroit, and I don't even think they make the playoffs. So, uh, Yeah. Let me see. So, I don't think they did. Uh, I'm going to say... They, lost, they got swept by Cleveland in the first round. Okay. Pistons team. Well, either way, um, unsuccessful, very much. I would say. And I would say underachieved, too. I really felt like that team should have easily been a title contender. Yeah. Uh, the next one I have, which we were kind of baiting, and it's the Sixers team with Allen Iverson and Chris Webber. So Chris Webber's coming off his runs with Sacramento. Still a solid player, but he had his ACL tear, and at this point he is on a decline. Um, but is still averaging about 20. I think it was like 20 and 10 per game. So, you know, all this talk about how Allen Iverson never has any help. He never has any help. This this is your guy. This is a dude that's going to average 20 and 10. He's going to be able to protect the rim. He's going to be able to score on offense. Um, this should technically unlock Allen Iverson, give him not such a big load to carry. And yet... This team finishes 38 and 44. Now, th- these are all pretty young guys, so, but just listen to this roster. We got Matt Barnes, who's in his second season. Sorry, going into his third season. We got Andre Iguodala going into his second season. We got Kyle Korver going into his third season. We got, okay, we got Chris Weber. We got Lou Williams, who is about to be a rookie. And. Oh, no, sorry. Lou Williams going into his second season. Um, let's see. And Dallin Barrett, who's going into his third season. So, honestly, not a bad list of supporting cast. Young guys, but I would say pretty underwhelming what they to go 38 and 44 with this roster. Yeah, uh, very good. Uh, the pairing itself is is interesting and like maybe debatable, but definitely the team as a whole was was very solid. And and me being a Sixers fan, I don't really remember too much from this far back. But yeah, um, they finally address the concern and the critics were saying about AI never having help, as you said. And, and they finally do give him somebody that was averaging, you know, 20 and 10. And he even did that season, 9.9 boards, but essentially 10. And uh, just just a solid big that they hadn't had for a while. 
and they have all these solid pieces around the team and and yeah i mean you would expect more out of a team like this now of course i'm in the camp that even being a, a philly fan that i think ai is is a little overrated and and i don't know if i would consider him a, a superstar maybe by name but uh yeah i mean this team Maybe high hopes. I would. I going by the team itself and the pairing. I would expect them to at least get into the playoffs. I don't think this is a team that was worth contending, but definitely disappointing if you're looking at looking at it from a stance that that, that they should have been a lot better than they were, and that their stats would indicate. So, I would I would definitely agree with you there. Well, so what's interesting is this team is also ran by Billy King, who just runs the Mets into the ground um and again he makes a swing for this for Chris Webber who's who's older honestly was way more productive than Paul Pierce or Kevin Garnett um and they actually made the playoffs with those teams so I don't understand what like what the issue was like why this team performed so poorly um even looking at the standings let's see where they finished they finished ninth around the edge yeah which so detroit was the one seed miami was two so detroit still had that big um five of i think that was they still had their big five or they only have four at this point because rashid or uh ben wallace left at some point no they still they still had the big uh five of them so they have chauncey billups rip hamilton tayshawn rashid and ben so that's a tough team to compete with. They finished 64 and 18. The uh, Miami, the second seed, that's with Dwayne Wade and Shaq. Uh, shockingly, the Nets were the third seed that season, 49-33. Um, that's with Jason Kidd, VC, Richard Jefferson. Got the fourth seed, obviously younger LeBron, 150 games. Uh, five is Washington. That's with Gilbert Arenas, but they finished 42 and 40. All right, so we're at the five seed already, and the, this team is forty-two and forty. Mm-hmm. Six seed, Indiana. Uh, I think this is with O'Neal. Um, I don't know if Ron Artest is still on the team. This is the year after the Malice in the Palace, so a lot of things might have happened after the season. I don't think Stephen Jackson's on the team anymore. Anyway, they finished forty-one and forty-one. Chicago finished this forty-one and forty-one. Uh. And then the eighth seed is Milwaukee, 40 and 42. So you're telling me <laughs> that this Sixers team with that roster that we just looked at could not beat out a team of Milwaukee, who I don't even know who's on this roster. Chicago. Let's see who's on there. Who's on the Chicago roster? Oh, I this, can't even guess this one either. Milwaukee, it's Bogut's rookie year. Uh, Tony Kuko in his 12th season. And like, oh, Michael Red that, and Mo Williams. Those are about the only okay, only Red, four I'm seeing. <laughs> Michael Red is pretty good. Yeah. So looking at this Bulls roster, we got Kirk Heinrich, uh, second year Luol Deng, second wow. year Ben Gordon. I like Ben Gordon. Right? <laughs> we have uh, fifth year Tyson Chandler. So this team is not terrible, but I... Just after reading the roster I gave you, I would say that the Sixers roster is better than this one too. Um, uh, yeah, it's just it's mind blowing, honestly, that they couldn't beat out those two teams. I still even look at Indiana. 
who I'm pretty sure they were just running it back, but I could be wrong, said Jermaine O'Neal. Rookie Danny Granger was on that team. Wow. Steven okay. Jackson was still there. I guess... No, Ron Artiste? Ron Artiste. Ron Artiste. Artiste. <laughs> Ron Artest was still on this team. Dead Pages Stojakovic. Holy shit. I didn't even know he played for them. Yeah. Um, you look at the numbers, and, and Philly was... So this team's not too bad. I would say this team's probably better than Philly. Philly was... Considering uh, the experience they have. Philly was averaging 106 points per game, and they were looking like literally the media, like right down the middle, like the average offense and their defense was... Uh, the sixth worst defense in the league, which mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised at, but yeah, they were they were on the the wrong side of uh, the net there. But yeah, I mean, two of those teams you named, Milwaukee and Chicago, I I would say much more talented, and they should have been able to surpass them in playoffs. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's definitely disappointing from a, especially from a fan in the side. fifth seed in the East, only won 42 games. You couldn't. You somehow found a way to not make the playoffs. 38 games, yeah. I just, that's it's so terrible. bad. Um, <laughs> it's very bad. Yeah, I just, disappointing team. Um, and we're coming up. All right, so we got to finish this up. So I'm going to go into this last one I had. And this last one I have is Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming. Um, they only... I think I only have one season where they played together, where they were both fully healthy, if I have that right. Um, I mean, it sounds about right. I just going through <laughs> the seasons. Yeah, I think I think it was only one season. Let's take a look here. Or that was their final season together, I think. 04 was the first season he was in Houston, McGrady. Okay, yeah, so I'm on their last season that they were together. And even so, they still finish with a good record so we'll go we'll go back to the, the first season together so 0405 they finished 51 and 31 um let's see i just want to make sure yummy is on scene yes he is so finish 51 and 31 i i don't really have much to say on this team they both were healthy played a ton of games grady was averaging 25 per game he yeah, was doing his thing 18 and Eight per game. Um, yeah, I was shooting very effective from the floor. Honestly, it's like a perfect pairing. Uh, I would say they underperformed when it comes to playoffs. They got bounced in the first round by Dallas, but that was a really good Dallas team. So or I guess the, we could let that slide. They were the five seeds, so that's 51 and 31, so pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that was the year Dallas went to the... Oh, no, not that year next year next to next year yeah yeah all right so then next season they come back 34 and 48 so let's see if we could toss this one up to injuries yes we can 47 games for tracy mcgrady 57 for Yao. this is when it just all falls apart i would say yeah because um, the next season is also injury riddled even though they finished 52 and 30 um Tracy McGrady played 71 games. Yao only played 48. Uh, I think this might have been the season, though, where they went on that crazy 22-game win streak. No, it is not. No. <laughs> it's probably the next season. Maybe. I know there was a season where they had, like, a miracle. Um, They get bounced in the first round by Utah. 
think that team had Darren Williams on it with Carlos Boozer, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, so really good record. Injuries kind of hurt them in their chances. We go to 0708, 55 and 27. Another awesome record. This is the 22 game win streak. Um, I think Yao was hurt this season, though. Yao played 55 games. Um, and Tracy McGrady only played 62. But the rest of the roster, not bad. Shane Battier, Luis Scola, Ray for Alston. Um, they have Steve Francis, surprisingly. Dikembe Matumbo was a solid backup. Um, kind of filled the spot where they really needed Yao Ming for. So, I don't know. Uh, again, I just don't know why this team could not make it out of the first round. Because they lost in the first round again to Utah. Who was below them in seeding. And you got the Darren Williams-Carlos Boozer, Boozer duo. Let's see where they finished actually in seeding 55 games is a lot of wins yeah so when 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 they're not when they're not hurt they're giving you 50 plus wins oh i see okay so they won more games in utah but this is before they changed the seeding format because it used to be each division first yeah so utah won their divisions they are guaranteed that top seed for home court advantage yeah, I mean, they, they, they were very solid. They were giving you 50, again, when they weren't hurt, they're giving you 50-plus wins per season. So, I mean, they, they, they excelled expectations season-wide and then just playoffs hit and just dip in performance. I, I don't know. I mean, they played some really good teams. If, but. Or no, because they played their last game at home. So home court advantage didn't really matter because they lost it in game four. Yeah. Um, or whatever. They didn't have an opportunity to get back. But it's just weird that if they had home court advantage, I wonder if this would have played out any differently. You have to think. The 08 was their last season together? Yeah, T-Mac dropped 40 in this, in this last... Uh, is this his last game as a Rocket? I feel like they didn't trade him yet, did they? Uh... No, that was not his final game as a Rocket. Yeah, they traded him during the 09 Two seasons season. after. Wow. All right. Well, yeah, so I don't know. I I think injuries really hurt this duo. Um, Yuming had a ton of foot problems. Ended up retiring, I think, after that season. That's what you just said, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's just like, what can you do? I don't know. You can only run it back so many times where a guy's playing 40 games a year. <laughs> so yeah. you might as well just wait till after All-Star break down and play. Yeah, um, that, that 4 team was mm, T-Max high of 30 points per game in the playoffs. He was averaging. and uh, Yeah, that was before he was just injury riddled. That's like, what I mean. He was, he was actually shooting like really well. and Because if you remember, he, I don't know if he was really that injured with um, Orlando. From what I remember, not he was as, pretty yeah, not healthy. Not as much. He's given you 34 and 32, so like... In a couple of seasons where you missed some games. I mean, he's never playing 80 games per season, but... Uh, he is, like, he's coming straight out of that Orlando situation into this one, and um, I wouldn't say much has changed from 0304 to 0405. No. Um, and you're pairing him with 
a guy that he has not had to play one side of yet. No. <laughs> because in Orlando, Grant Hill was just constantly hurt. Um, that was supposed to be a big pairing. Honestly, that would be a crazy duo if they never That'd got That would be cool. Hurt. Yeah. And Shaq um, was already gone, so, I mean, they, he didn't really have a... I don't even know who, who was Orlando's big, because like, I'm pretty sure Horace was gone at that point. But I don't even know who um, who their big was. Uh, I don't either, because... Oh, well, that says Sean Kemp, but I know he did not start for them. Mm. I'm getting some strange names. There's Patrick Ewing for 020102. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> About that. I guess they never really had a center. I mean, Tim Duncan was supposed to be their center. Yeah. I don't know if he knew about that. They were supposed to sign him. Um, and it just something fell through and they never did. I guess Drew Gooden was the closest thing. And of course, an old Sean Kemp. But uh, yeah, it was Drew Gooden's rookie year, actually. Yeah. I don't know. He didn't have anything. And then and you give him Yao, this, this generational species of player. And just, yeah. I, I, think, I think injuries definitely would be like the biggest factor here because you just see the dip from, from one year. Or I guess two years. Well, dude, so it's crazy. Orlando signs Grant Hill. Um, I don't think it was, or was it the same year they signed Tracy McGrady? I think it was. Um, Grant Hill plays four games, then 14 the next season. 29, doesn't play all of 03, 04. And uh, I think, yeah, that's the end of that experiment. Yep, Grant Hill was there first year. McGrady was there. A total of 47 games throughout three seasons. Hmm. Yeah. Sucks. Sucks, yeah. <laughs> Just injuries, man. Just really cost you. He was so good, too, dude. Like, ah. Oh. Can only imagine. I literally just so entertaining to watch. For sure. Um, yeah. I would say that those Orlando years were really nice. For, anyway, I, so I have no more duos. That's, yeah. that's the end of mine. That's uh, yeah, that's it for me. I mean, I guess you can mention uh, Jerry West and Walt Chamberlain if you want. Yeah, I don't have their numbers up. I know yeah. they. I don't remember how many seasons they played together, either. Um, but what I do know is that they only came away winning one championship with their time together. Which, I mean, at the time, Jerry West and Will Chamberlain are easily top ten players, if not maybe top five in the league at the time. So. Yeah, nineteen to win one championship is pretty underwhelming. Nineteen sixty-eight to seventy-three, they were together. So, kind of on the back end okay. of Wilt's career, but he was still dominating. I mean, he was still giving you. I think he was still averaging twenty boards a game. But yeah, Jerry West was regarded as the best backcourt player in the NBA, and the, I think the biggest thing was that they were confused why they could not get through the Celtics because Wilt had done it on his own in Philly. So it was like. Now you have an old Bill Russell. It's like, why couldn't they do it? And I believe only one or two of those finals was against uh, the Bill Russell Celtics. The others were against Walt Frazier's Knicks, and it was just a worse team than the Celtics. So I would say definitely underwhelming. They, they both elevated their play, so it was successful in that matter, but very disappointing that you have debatably the top two players in the league at that point on the same team. And good players around. I don't really know the rest of what the roster was looking like, but... Yeah, very disappointing for sure. 
Yeah. Um, they definitely should have won more than one championship, I think, given the time period. Uh, all right, so I think we're we're getting almost past our hour. So we're going to wrap this up. Frank, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at Swaynatra, S-W-A-E-N-A-T-R-A, also on Twitter, also on YouTube, Swaynatra, same thing. Um, you can find me, uh, Mackie Ireland, uh, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you do your social media. Uh, you could also follow Rim Grazers on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're posting short clips of sound bites from the show. You could also listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, YouTube, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys next week. Peace. Bye.